Hey there, I'm Gilad Barash, and welcome to Who's Your Data, the podcast that deals with how data influences life and how life influences data, the human side of data analytics. Hey there, and welcome to Who's Your Data. Today, we talk to Dr. Lauren Moores, head of data innovation at Montai Health, about her work on the data advisory board of USA for UNHCR, a nonprofit organization that supports the United Nations High Commission for Refugees and builds awareness and support for the global refugee crisis. We discuss how data is utilized in that work for different goals, her take on corporations doing work for social good, AI, and the issue of privacy and health tech, as well as why I won't do the 23andMe thing anytime soon. Let's get to the conversation. So welcome, Lauren Moores. Welcome to Who's Your Data podcast. Thanks, Gilad. I'm very happy to be on this podcast. Very happy, very happy to have you on here. We've known each other for many years. We used to work together and you went on to do other stuff in different domains and different industries. And as a data person, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what it's like to work in so many different data domains over time? That's a great question, uh, and thank you. Uh, I have worked in many different domains, but all of them have been in industries where data and technology are trying or being used to disrupt and to change the status quo. So since uh, you and I worked together in ad tech, and I had a great time in ad tech, uh, I left for a brief stint in uh, fintech, right? Doing a microfinancing. And then from there went to agriculture and now I'm in health. What do these things have in common? What they have in common is they're trying to use the latest technology, media, or data in order to solve something that has yet to be solved. And so for instance, in, in fintech, it is providing a risk mitigation algorithm to allow you to do microloans in a very fast time. For agriculture, it's trying to either solve some of the food insecurity issues using biologicals or a system of biologicals with data and new practices and data um, kind of looping that allows you to understand better about where your crops are. And then health, like health, I'm using the same skills that I've, I've used in every single industry, but what's different is the data. Every time I do need to learn a new discipline. Uh, how hard is it to hit the ground running when you change domains like that? That's a great question because it's really easy to hit the domain running in a uh, startup that's probably more like a series B, series C. Because then what you're doing is you're going in and you're, you're seeing what was built and you're seeing where the gaps are. And it's much easier to try to fill those gaps and use the expertise that is there on coming up to speed with the data and in terms of the data domain. I mean, I think in terms of data all the time and to me, it's a pattern, right? It's, it's binaries, it's bits mm -hmm. and bytes. But you also have to understand the very you know, subject matter expert type information for each domain. And that does take some time. So today, as you mentioned, you are head of data innovation at Monti Health. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what that means and what you do? I can tell you about what I do. Uh, Monti Health is a stealth uh, startup within the flagship pioneering portfolio. Uh, we're focused on using molecular nutrition uh, in the health domain. 
And this is a very uh, early on a company with, um, with a small group of people who are focused on using data and technology at the cutting edge uh, in order to solve or focus on global health. And why is it cutting edge? Mostly because, and, and you and I have, have had to deal with this before, uh, the data is not available. It's sparse. It's not aggregated. And in, in, in terms of human health, there's just the complexity of the human body and the personalization. Actually, it, it's a very good correlation to consumers and trying to target consumers with ads. Everybody has a particular way that they react to an ad. When you and I were doing our work together at, at, at our company, it was give me all the information I can about this person in terms of behavior so I can really try to understand your proclivities and be accurate with where I'm going to push your ads, right? Or to understand you as an audience. This is the same thing, but we don't understand all the mechanisms of the body. <laughs> so it's really trying to under, to figure that out and make connections where connections have not been made yet. I think that's a really great analogy. And I remember when we worked on it, we always talked about how you've gotten from you know mass advertising to an audience of one because you get so personalized and everybody has their own unique signal. And this is certainly true in health that everybody has their own unique condition. Of course, the stakes are much higher and the data is probably much more complicated. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things that is very interesting to me, especially with companies that work in health and technology, is their ability to work on social good issues. And one of the social good aspects that I think that uh, does not get enough attention is the issue of humanitarian crises and refugee crises. And you know, the sheer scale of humanitarian crises around the world is pretty daunting. I think that according to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, there are over 82 million refugees today in the world, asylum seekers, people that are displaced, of which I think around 40 or more than 40% are children. And so the idea of utilizing technology in order to help in that space was something that really caught my attention. Since you've been involved in some work around that, I wanted to ask you some questions about that. Happy to talk about the U4U and UNHCR. So let's first of all discuss U4U. What is USA for UNHCR? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, and, I, and I keep saying that. Uh, so you're going to have to take that out of our, our, our <laughs> media or audio. Uh, so you, no, you can you, always tell me that I ask good questions. I'll, I'll keep all of that <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. You for You is the acronym for USA for UNHCR. And USA for UNHCR is an affiliate of the UNHCR. It is a nonprofit organization founded by American citizens specifically to be uh, focused on the refugee uh, crises throughout the globe. It is not part of the UNHCR itself. It's not part of the UN. It's a nonprofit piece. And there's, there's like a comparison there is that US is not recognized for having refugees. So therefore we, we cannot be part of the UNHCR as other countries are, but we work through you for you in order to have an impact one of the components of you for you is their data science element. Can you talk about that? you uh, for you has focused in the last five years on building out data for decisioning 
data for uh, education, data for making uh, refugees' lives better. And that started within New York where uh, a small group had, had been formed. It's called The Hive. And the hive started focusing on what can we do differently with data science? What can we do differently with data? And soon realized that there's multiple paths to, to go after, but before they really went too far, they decided they were gonna build an advisory board with different data science leaders throughout the US. I was chosen to be on that inaugural board and we have since grown and that particular piece, and it's an integral part of being able to expand data science for social good, but specifically for you for you. And so what does a data advisory board do in general? And what was specific to you for you, for the Hive? Data board in general, well, it varies, but for, for the Hive specifically, it was to bring in ideas from the corporate world and from other nonprofits and apply that in, in the situation of, of what you for, for you has. So for example, how do you reach your donors? Do you have information on them that allows you to understand who they are better? A lot of the information that we used to use was in a third-party platform that was very difficult to get to or get reporting out of. And certainly was not integrated with other pieces of the uh, other donor information. So very siloed information. Does the American public really understand what a refugee is? And how can we use data to change that? For instance, in 2018, we did a great project um, using uh, satellite imagery to be able to confirm where camps were. Really what you're doing is you're trying to bring precision to the plight of the refugee in multiple ways at the same time as understanding the people who support refugees and trying to expand that base with education and stories. So you mentioned two different problems that were being solved with data. One is around fundraising, understand better who the donors were and how to engage with them. And the other one that, that you mentioned was had to do with satellite imagery to map refugee camps and settlements, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is something that probably grows and changes dynamically. And so it's hard to keep track of in terms of what resources they need and how they change and how that affects the the people on the ground. And that brings me to the next question that I thought about in terms of, first of all, what is the data that you look at? So part of it, yes, fundraising data, but what other data sources do you look at and do you coalesce in that high? That's, that's a good question. So for the, on the fundraising side, we have uh, anonymized transactional data and that's to understand you know, how we're going to support the budget and understand uh, you know, where we can go out with our awareness. In terms of adding additional information, a lot of times we're doing it on a per project basis. So for instance, for the satellite imagery, the purpose of that was to understand where refugee camps were placed and to try and improve planning and maintenance. How far away were tents from a water source? Mm-hmm. And so in that case, what it would end up being like a Mechanical Turks type 
uh, situation, although it wasn't Mechanical Turks. It was, uh, you know, we, we worked with uh, satellite imagery and um, anybody could go in and they could annotate the maps, right? So it was, a, it was crowdsourced in terms of mm -hmm. understanding, did, does this look like a tent? And we, and we gave pointers onto this is what a UN tent looks like. You can, can you figure out where this is and can we identify where the nearest water source is and can we identify where the nearest toilet is and, and figuring those things out so that that information could be then taken and pushed back into UNHCR itself. And hey, how can we make it better for, for our refugees across the board? That's that's one case. So in that specific, we're looking at the, the geospatial data. A lot of times we are combining data, usually public data sources, and we're doing it when we have hackathons. So we do hackathons with various other social good or companies, you know, so we've, we've done one with Microsoft. We have specific, we've also done it with Airbnb. We've done specific questions where we've divided the teams up into figuring out specific questions. But a lot of times we're asking them to go look for ways to combine public data to solve a refugee problem. So for instance, um, I remember one of the hackathon results was somebody building a website for refugees to go to so they could figure out what are my local resources? What do I have? Who can I ask questions to? Another uh, exercise we did was looking at Twitter data and understanding the sentiment of refugee comments across the board in the U.S. And that's not only for understanding what maybe changing up messaging or education, but also understanding what people are saying about refugees coming to the U.S. and in general. I'm sure that, um, you know, different times in the last few years, there were probably negative sentiments around refugees. Yeah, I mean, more broadly, I, I, the, the question, you know, it takes me back to when we were first were building out the internet. My thoughts at that point in time were, my goodness, this is going to change the world. And think about the way that people are going to have access to information that they never had access to. Think about the, the people who have been uh, forbidden to have access to information. And I was thinking more in terms of the goodness of that somebody uh, somewhere in a rural or developing country might have access to making their lives better. Not even thinking about the way that we as humans take information and perturb it or mm -hmm. use it to our own means or control it for power. And so I think that, yes, we've made lots of gains by using technology and maybe we can meet or affect the success of people better, but we also are bringing in the ability to bring in more negative too. I tried to focus on the positive and, and the people that we can reach. Some of the reading that I was doing in terms of those technologies, whether it's being able to do, as you know, in FinTech, the, the cash transfers that people can do on mobile now that uh, you know allows more access to funds and whether it was, I think uh, there was a, a project that tried to match refugees to the optimal city for their employment uh, right. and resettlement. So certainly, like you said, the, the positive aspects of the tech hopefully outweigh the negative. I, I've had conversations about this that in terms of corporations doing social good and the limits of that, that a lot of times they do it within the sphere of either A, it's, it's marketing, or B, that it's very limited to something that ultimately is beneficial to them versus having nonprofit organizations that are doing this work that maybe is more 
specific and directed at, at specific problems that are for the greater good, but maybe have less resources. Do you have any thoughts on that, that balance? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of paths there, right? So if you think about social good, uh, many of the companies that I've worked for in the last couple of years, that's, that their focus has been on social good in, in a much broader way you know, not necessarily corporate B, corp, you know, corporation, but focused on trying to change agricultural abundance and produce for the world through the, the systems that we're building, or to change somebody's life by providing them a access to uh, uh, cash that they might not have. Um, or, you know, it, you know, for Montai, trying to change the way people think about health so that we're not thinking about disease, we're actually thinking about health, but that's so broad. And so if you're thinking about those aspects, then yeah, that's a piece of social good. How does it get translated to the individual? Or how mm -hmm. does that, get, if you can bring it down to the refugee, how does that get translated to the refugee? If you're, if you're good at what you do as a corporation and you're doing it socially responsible, which is a different path, mm -hmm. and you're, you're successful and your success does help who your target audience is, maybe you call that social good? <laughs> yeah, I think you make a good point in terms of the social responsibility of the brand. And we've seen that. And this is where you can kind of tell if a brand is faking it and doing it for the marketing. For example, when we worked in, in advertising, you know, something like the, the infamous Pepsi campaign uh, during the the unrest where Kylie Jenner, Kendall Jenner, I don't know, a Jenner. One of, one of them. <laughs> one of the Jenners uh, was, yes. you know, drinking, <laughs> handing the policeman the, the Pepsi. And this was, you know, such a sour note, which was obviously just done, you know, for easy and cheap marketing. But on the other hand, you have brands that are in their DNA are socially responsible, uh, such as Patagonia and others that part of their makeup and it is part of their consumer base that that's important to them on an ongoing basis and they trust that. Well, I mean, I do, you know, I, I you know, I, I do buy from some companies who they're purposely working with or their workers are made up of people who normally would not be employed. To me, that is, that's much more focused on a social good, but it's very micro. I, I don't know how you sure. take the corporate out of macro social good. I don't know how you take the, the need to be profitable and bring in revenue. Right. At right? the end of the day, they're beholden to the shareholders. Exactly. That's fair. But that brings me to uh, my next question, which, like you said, how does the idea end up benefiting the refugee that is the very end of that of that life cycle, especially I would think in an organization that doesn't have an implementation arm to actually take the decisions and the data and, and do something with them and giving that out as reports and et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's probably hard to translate that into actual action. Are there any tough lessons that you've learned about data science in the social good sector in terms of that, of being able to implement or anything else that you could share? You're not always gonna be able to implement what you think you might be able to, or you might not be able to help someone in an area because of how overly complicated the communication needs to be. You're not actually able to help them with 
solving a problem because they don't have the right technology and you can't do it for them. The data is not something anybody wants to share. I do think you can influence. And I think that you can, you know, one of the, one of the goals of you for you in terms of the hive and the, and the data advisory board is to influence, bring thought leadership in terms of how can we use data differently or use technology differently. There are some fantastic work being done directly in the UN and UNHCR for the refugees that are taking advantage of technology and way ahead of other areas. Uh, I had the privilege of going to one of the camps and they've been able to use digitization and access to a uh, app and using the phone because the phone is huge, right? It, it's, yeah. you, know, you know, there are a lot of countries who just went straight to the phone and there are a lot of people who have smartphones. Like there's this misunderstanding that smartphones aren't prevalent, but they're very prevalent. And they're a great way to allow a person to have identity or to have access to the programs and know what they can or can't do within a camp or to be able to talk to people better. And so that has been done in some areas and it's taking those and trying to get them elsewhere, but it's a global system. It's a global system of economics and politics. It's not just a private, hey, we're gonna go do this and we can because we own everything. <laughs> Keeping that in mind, in terms of the goals of you for you and the Hive, is there, was there a way to quantify or measure the success of these projects? That's a really good question. You know, I think it's something that we have struggled with as a board because, you know, our goal is to make our colleagues successful and to make you for you successful. And ultimately, it does come down to whether or not we're able to raise more money or if we our mm -hmm. impact or reach has grown. So it, everything at some point is going to be translatable into that metric of were we able to keep you as a donor? Did you give more money this year versus last year? Were we able to expand in an area that we didn't before? Were we able to change the sentiment that, uh, of refugees, particularly refugees uh, coming here? Those are all parts of the metrics. So we talked about you know, the different data sources the Hive may collect and coalesce together into. And I think, you know, today, one of the big buzzwords in the last 10 years in terms of using AI and machine learning, basically thrown at every problem and every data set, people think just, oh, throw some AI at it. What has been your experience in the social good and in the refugee space? And what are your thoughts about that as an approach? Well, you know, you have to start with getting access to the data. AI to me is the, the icing on the cake. And I think that's true for any industry. First, you have to figure out what data do you have? What additional data can you get? What do you really want to answer by throwing AI at it? In a lot of cases, you can use simple algorithms, a simple rules-based algorithm to get you that much further than trying to, you know, use up compute resources, pretend you have big data to come up with the same answer. I think possibly with the social good piece, a lot of things are going to be very macro oriented. How can I affect the broader base of refugees versus 
your donors are more micro-oriented and you can mm-hmm. think of them as consumers and you're gonna want right. to get as much information as you can and you're probably using Experian data and you're probably throwing in this, whatever is gonna take for you to understand who your audience is and then figuring out then how to reach them. That's the age old problem on that side. On the macro side, in terms of the refugee, it's similar to work being done by, by some of the companies I work with in that there is a known problem with a disease. And so we're gonna go after that. So there's a known refugee crisis in this country because of these five reasons, we're going to try and help them. We're not, we can't fix the underlying, which is opposite of what you're trying to do on the you know, disease on, on produce trees. We're trying to make refugees' lives better. So AI is not always the answer. It's a tool in a toolbox. Yeah, it's, it's a tool in a toolbox for anybody. <laughs> yeah, very fair. And I always find the part that always interests me is that you also have to ask the right question of the data. You have to know, oh. you have to have a sense of what you can and cannot answer from the data that you have. Mm-hmm. That I love that because it, it just, I think of it now and it's like, well, just go off and get data. It's like, well, what am I trying to solve? What are you getting? And is it right. going to solve the question that you want? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you, have to, you have to try and think beyond what people are asking. You know, it's, it's similar to yeah. product development. You don't, people don't really ask you for what they want. They kind of hint at it. And then you have to go around right. and be like, okay, yeah. how do I answer this? And what data is going to help me proxy that to get there? Right. <laughs> and so my, when, when, when I talk to people, about data when they come to me with a question my, my favorite question to ask them back is why do you want to know I have to first figure out what their goal is and then and then the second the second statement is okay well you're asking the wrong question yeah if that's what you want you're asking the wrong question so yes, let's work backwards favorite. and figure it out yeah yeah, um, yeah you and I are the same because my favorite <laughs> is what are you trying to solve because you just told me okay. how to solve something but you might not get the answer that you want exactly exactly <laughs> One of the things that's been top of mind, I think, for every industry today around data is the issue of privacy, whether it be consumers and their habits, whether it be the use of social media and the way that that gets utilized in order to target and personalize ads, be hacked and used for voting, et cetera. So privacy is top of mind for everybody. And certainly today with uh, the imminent deprecation of Google's third-party cookie that tracks people's actions on the internet, that is going towards a more privacy-friendly internet. This seems to me especially an acute issue when dealing with healthcare, when dealing with humanitarian crises. How does that come into play here in terms of privacy when you are trying to personalize actions and decisions for people who are especially vulnerable. Yeah, and I would say that for the uh, refugee side, we are not privy to any of that detail. And because U4U is focused on donors and education, you know, we have donor information. When it comes to others like healthcare, you know, I think that we're seeing already in the space uh, and, and we've always had hints of it is consumer having more control over their data. And it's not just 
I'm going to give you my data in exchange for um, free access to your content, um, or I'm going to give you my data for, I don't know, a coupon for $2. You know, you see the commercial I, I love, which is a joke about, hey, I just gave out your social security number and I, and I get to get, have a free piece of pizza or something. Right, like but that, yeah, right? here, have a pizza. <laughs> yeah, have a pizza. It's more about, I'm going to give you my data because you're giving, you're going to provide me insights that nobody else can give me. I think there are many instances where we would all benefit from unsiloing the data and being able to get insights from platform of sorts or to understand better the interactions of say my whoop and my uh, my food diary or my Apple watch and my EHR records, that might be of value, yeah. right? It always comes back to what are you providing back to the consumer or to yourself? Am I getting what I need if I provide you this information? If I can have a group of people or a platform or, you know, if my doctor knew more about me, right. And, and, and I tried to be very uh, transparent, but you don't always remember everything. If there's a way to kind of connect those passive things and environmental and other, and create a better version of who you are and what your, you go through life and how your health is, and somebody can make a better whether it's a drug or a supplement or um, just advice on, on what you should or should not be doing, I might give some of that data over. It would definitely be beneficial, certainly for your quality of life, unless the insurance companies got hold of it and then raise your premiums because of X or Y. It's one reason why a lot of people have not done the full 23andMe, right? I'm one of them. I haven't done it. <laughs> I've done the ancestry because I'm very interested on that. And of course they have all my health, but I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I mean, for me at my age, maybe it doesn't really matter, but my kids did the ancestry part. So please do not do the health part. I don't want you blocked if something happens down the mm -hmm. road. Right. But that's right. horrible. That's a whole nother path of discussion. <laughs> yeah. But I, the same, I, I was not comfortable in giving away that information, but on the other hand, I recognize how beneficial it is to right. see First of all, your ancestry, but second, um, possible health risks you might be more prone to. Right. How I go does back your and genetics? forth about it. And I think that until we have, but it's no different than us wanting to have uh, safe consumer data, right? In terms of purchases and likes and propensities and all stuff, so that you don't, people aren't taking advantage of it. Health is, is oh my God, it's just at the nth degree more of an issue in terms right. of could be used for nefarious reasons. Right. Although on the other hand, I don't think I need to do it because like, I know I'm 100% Ashkenazi Jew. There's nothing else. <laughs> so I don't think there's going to be much surprises there. Well, Lauren, thank you so, so much for this conversation. It was fascinating. I'm glad we could uh, catch up. Gilad, I'm privileged to be on your podcast. Are you and, kidding? And it is my honor. <laughs> So if anybody wants more information about you or about all the wonderful things you do or this uh, work with the refugee crisis, where can they find you? A great place to reach me is on LinkedIn, but I prefer when somebody asks me or tells me why they want to connect with me. <laughs> I, I love talking to people, but not I don't like salespeople. Mm -hmm. uh, 
or people who think that I'm going to go jump to another job. And I have a lot of information on my website, laurenmorris.com. Fantastic. Thank you, Lauren, and take care. Well, thanks for joining us today and listening to this episode. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed, send them to now at gmail.com. That's now, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks and see you next time on Who's Your Data?